Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And welcome to our first post-season episode of 2022. And unfortunately, our Baltimore Orioles are not playing baseball any longer. Not to our surprise, though, I think we all said on our most recent episode that um, they were not going to make the postseason. Um, but are we anybody surprised by that outcome, Jesse? No, I, I mean, I think if anything else, we've been consistent all year saying the Orioles weren't going to make the postseason before <laughs> the season. We all agree yeah. the Orioles weren't going to make <laughs> the postseason midway through. You know, even after we won, I think we all still agreed that the Orioles probably were not going to make the postseason. And as you said on our last episode, I think we all agreed that, uh, yeah, again, we weren't going to make the postseason. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, basically, this is like the look back episode. And based on what Jesse just said, we were pretty much right on all of our predictions. So we can just everything. Wrap it up here. Yeah, every <laughs> right. single one. Thank you so much for listening. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, it does. It still was disappointing, though. I think, and I feel like if you're on Twitter, which I know Eli, you were man in the ship over there, mm. um, but you could feel the vibes in Orioles Twitter that everybody was getting a little agitated because it wasn't that the Orioles were playing horrifically bad in September and early October, but they were kind of just playing mediocre baseball, right. and they needed to be really good. Um, so I don't know, Eli, were you kind of disappointed with the play the last uh, four weeks or so of the season? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I was so disappointed with the play per se. It 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 seemed like they're I don't know. I it 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 seemed like that was what this team was in my eyes. You know, like a you know, people talk about the Hall of Fame versus Hall of Very Good. We were not a postseason team. We were a good team this year. Um and, and so, you know getting into these critical, critical moments and just kind of falling short. Like you look at those couple series against the Blue Jays in September as pretty decisive, critical moments in our season. And we definitely faltered in them. You know, it's you, there's no other way to cut it. Um, and that's okay. You know, it, it's just, this team was fine this year. You know, like I, I was just, preparing for the episode taking a look through you know by measure of weighted runs created plus we were the 17th best team in the league you know so like overall our offensive production was below average um we did a lot of things better on the pitching side of the ball that brought us back to a good side you know brought us back above league average i think as a team as a whole but uh there are improvements to be made and yeah i don't i, I don't think this was a playoff team this year yeah, and I think that's kind of how the front office sort of treated the team coming into the season, and then even at the trade deadline, they weren't really buying it, um, you know, and and you can always go and say, well, if they had bought at the deadline, maybe we would have been a couple games better, but I don't know. It's tough to say, like, yeah, if we had this player here and this player and keep Jorge Lopez and Trey Mancini, this team wins 90 games, like, that doesn't really pass the sniff test for me. Not that they needed 90, they needed, like, what, 87? Right. Um, but yeah, it, it felt about right. Jess, did you want to hop in? Did... That's definitely a stretch. I mean, I think, of course, one thing you could point to, of course, is John Means going down at the beginning of the year. <clears throat> I mean, I obviously think that would have made a big difference, especially down the stretch with the starting pitching, starting, you know, to unravel a little bit. Um, so, I mean, that's one thing I think about. But uh, I mean, 
what's kind of disappointing sort of at the end is despite the great individual performances of someone like Gunnar Henderson, um, the Orioles didn't like as a whole really turn it up like playing in September, um, even after he had come up. Uh, D.L. Hall uh, didn't really, I feel like was kind of sort of a non-factor you know in the whole thing when looking back on it and um so he started to improve down the stretch but yeah, like he was yeah. he had a couple rough outings yeah definitely and then and then he was relegated to the bullpen right he wasn't he wasn't starting right. um well that was so, the plan all along but yeah right he but he had a few he had a few spot starts for us so just one one yeah or yeah the one and against that was the, the plan Rays. all along yeah right. he pitched against the Rays and it was going to the pen yeah so uh the fact that uh despite like how good henderson was it didn't really impact the orioles win loss wise tremendously um and the orioles still like faltered in september september was probably a worse month than the most of the previous months for them so um, yeah yeah It it was like i can look it up um i had it up just a second ago but now of course i don't um but I think it was basically like a mediocre month, right? Like they they weren't great as they needed to be. Um, and I've actually got it uh, now. They went 13 and 15 in September and two and three in October. So combined for 15 and 18, which they needed to be five games over 500 and they were three games under. Um, so, and, and the only team they really, that really started to struggle along with them in the playoff race was the Mariners kind of started to, go a little flat at the end, but the Mariners also had the advantage of beating the Orioles head to head earlier in the season. So they kind right. of had even an, like an extra game on them in that sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the outcome is sort of reflective of who the Orioles were, um, which is a team that is way better than it was a year ago, but not quite to the point they needed to be. One thing that didn't happen in September, October, that I think we've talked about, that could have happened was a, a promotion for Grayson Rodriguez. It didn't happen. And I'm not sure exactly why the Orioles did build him back up in the minors. He threw a couple of five inning starts, I think at the very end, but just didn't get the call. And I think Michael Elias had a quote that said um, something along the lines of, I hope he can help be in the mix for the rotation to start next year in yeah. the big leagues. Um, Eli, what do you think about Rodriguez not getting the call this year? Yeah, I just didn't really get it. You, you know, particularly we had uh, an opening on the last day of the season that, you know, th there was some question. And it's just kind of like, at this point, your season's over, you know, and Grayson can just kind of be a message that says like, hey, we're coming next year. You know, something as simple as that. Um, and yeah, like you said, he'd been built up to five innings. He was... Um, you know, he, he had given up some runs in the couple starts since he came back, but he was striking guys out. You know, the stuff didn't look bad. And, yeah, I, I think you uh, you throw him out there. What the heck? <laughs> I didn't really understand it. Um, but at the same time, you know, these Orioles and this front office have been notoriously conservative with their prospects. So I can't exactly say I'm surprised. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, just real quick, Jess, before I get your kind of thoughts there is uh, Rodriguez had made three starts with the Tides in September, throwing 72 pitches on the 16th, 
83 pitches on the 21st and 90 pitches on the 26th. Those 90 pitches were the most he threw in any single outing all year long. So if we think that back in late May, early June, he was ready to come up having not thrown 90 pitches yet, you have to think he was ready then. Um, But Jess, do you have any thoughts as to why the Orioles maybe just didn't bring him up? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm that critical of it. Um, Right after the, I mean, I think largely the Orioles were out of it, right? So, I mean, if the Orioles had been in contention at that point and needed a win or something, I think it might have played out differently. Um, They would have, you know, used him as the second secret weapon, you know, the Orioles have um, most likely Um, after Hall I'm referring to. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, at that point, it wasn't necessary. I, I don't mind him not coming up yeah i mean it definitely doesn't change like the orioles destiny for 2022 but the orioles have made sort of a uh a habit of giving their guys a taste of the next level the previous year they did it with henderson last year where he kind of struggled at um north was it norfolk last year he struggled whatever level he was at uh, a little bit at the very end of last year and then obviously this year kind of started the year um hot and just didn't really stop so I'm definitely a little bit disappointed. I would have liked to have seen him make a start instead of Spencer Watkins or um, I don't know anybody else. Mike Bauman. Bauman. Yeah. Bauman. Yeah. Bauman probably both. I maybe could have been like, okay, both you're good for the year, but um, didn't happen. Maybe they saw something in, in velocity or he maybe said he felt something and they don't want to push him. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I see no reason why he won't be on the starting in the starting rotation next year uh which that'll be a, an interesting discussion we'll have in the offseason about who the orioles opening day starter is because i don't think it's very clear at the moment with john means on the shelf so um but that's a discussion for another day yeah um all right well if we're if we're good talking about september and october do we want to maybe just look back at the entire season um and we can talk about i guess first sort of what went right for the orioles um, what was like maybe a reason or two, Eli, that you think the Orioles were able to do what they did and have that 30 plus win uh, turnaround had it not happened? Yeah, put very simply, it was the pitching. Uh, it was the pitching, the pitching, the pitching for me. Uh, you know, the, I saw it was Rob Daniels on Twitter. He threw up a uh, a tweet that the Orioles only scored five more runs this year than they did last year but the number of runs that they gave up was over 200 less, you know? So um, like, yeah, this Orioles team, you know, by XFIP, we were the 11th best team. Um, And that was just kind of a whole new experience for us. And it it was fascinating to see the way that, you know, we got all these guys, you know, Jordan Lyles had never been a high upside pitcher, but he actually, you know, was a pretty legitimate third man in the rotation of course he was first for us but um as opposed to the four or five that you signed him as as a free agent um austin voth we picked off waivers and immediately turned him into a pretty effective starter you know dean kramer we all thought he was lost besides jesse and (laughs) (laughs) you, you know he was wildly effective this year bradish it was good to see him mature a bit um but, you know, as the season went on, the rotation actually seemed to get even stronger and even stronger. And uh, that just like bodes really well for me heading into next year. Yeah, 
That is a, I've said before that like the starting pitching in particular went from being absolutely dreadful in 2021 to being like mediocre, maybe slightly below average technically, but that is such a, it was such a huge jump um, from where they were. And obviously the bullpen was great, but uh, Jess, do you want to give maybe what you think went right for this team? Yeah. I mean, of course I'm going to agree with Eli. Obviously I think the starting pitching was the biggest role uh, in the change. Of course, the outstanding bullpen of course too you know can't not be mentioned um so they're both of those things um i think also the starting pitching uh is pretty remarkable uh in the context of how little effort uh <laughs> management put into constructing the starting rotation right yeah. <laughs> i mean jordan lyles was the big signing for the orioles in the off season and the fact that it saw the turnaround that it did, um, you know, with both as like the waiver claim. Right. Um, and then uh, all these, you know, Lyles stepping up in a big way and then um, Spencer Watkins having a, you know, a turnaround season. Obviously, he was still shaky at moments, but um, yeah. So, I mean, with with despite you know, Elias putting so little effort into making this a good rotation, it actually turned out to be semi-decent. Yeah, that's totally valid. Um, I think I'll, I'll just go a little bit. I mean, obviously the pitching was much better this season. We talked about that. Um, And although as Eli rightly put it out, the offense wasn't really in any way, shape or form better than a season ago. Um, Well, five runs better. Well, is that a, is that a statistical <laughs> a significant amount of, of runs? I don't know. Um, but obviously there were some some injections of talent there, and also it seemed like on the offensive side of things, the Orioles had some good luck with injuries this year. There weren't really any of those yeah. extended. All the bad luck was on the pitching side, with Means going down, and Chris Ellis got hurt, and Alex Wells had his issues. Tyler Wells had his issues. Um, but the, Brandon Hyde was able to deploy his guys most of the time. Austin Hayes didn't have to go on the IL, although maybe that was a mistake. He maybe should have gone on the <laughs> IL for a little bit because he struggled in or, um, uh, August a little bit. Um, Cedric Mullins played every day. Anthony Santander, another guy that's had injury issues, he was able to play. Some of that was probably because he DH'd about half the time. Um, yeah. And then obviously the, the roster in general was a little bit younger, which probably helps with injuries too. You know, Rutschman was able to catch every day. Uh, Taryn Vavra got in there a little bit, Gunnar Henderson. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, in addition to the pitching, uh, injury luck on the offensive side helped, uh, to maybe sustain, uh, a similar level of offense as they had a season ago, which, uh, they needed every bit of it. Cause, uh, and I'll talk about this in the, when we touch on Brandon Hyde here in a minute, but, uh, run differential this year, actually the Orioles got outscored this year, um, which is usually not doesn't lead to a winning record, but um, they, they needed every run that they got to, to get to the 83 wins. Um, all right, Jess, I'll, I'll go back to you to maybe talk about uh, what went wrong for the Orioles, though. What maybe prevented them from being even better than an 83 win team and potentially going to the postseason? Uh, well, it kind of is actually the same answer. The starting <laughs> pitching, you know, despite its massive improvement in yeah. the end, it just wasn't good enough. Um, and uh yeah so i mean the the starting pitching uh it i mean what's frustrating about it is if some effort had been put into it and hadn't been cobbled together so much 
I, I think we could have actually constructed a, a decent starting staff. Um, but I mean, especially at the end of the year when we have Zimmerman and uh, Ballman making these starts for, you know, in these must win games for the O's. I mean, it's just not sufficient. So, um, yeah. So, and then also, right, the offense uh, just, I mean, we've talked about it kind of all year. I mean, I think you say it best, Tyler, that it's, it's definitely not a complete offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's, it's not well-rounded. It's not constructed in a great way. Um, and there was a lot of variability in the lineup every day. Guys were shuffling around, even moving positions defensively too much. Um, and, uh, which had offensive ramifications. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the fact that there wasn't a set lineup, uh, you know, it it really got exposed, you know, throughout the course of the year. Um, we would go into these slumps uh, where just, you know, we really wouldn't score um, for extended, you know, periods of time. So, um, yeah, I mean, so I think it's basically those two things. Of course, we have an all-star bullpen, um, so you can't at all complain about that. But um, why we, you know, the bullpen was definitely a, a world series, uh, competent bullpen. Um, so, but, uh, in terms of the starting pitching and the offense, um, you know, both of those, of course, like didn't allow us to, to, you know, be playoff contenders. So, yeah, pre- two pretty big elements, <laughs> right? <laughs> the hitting and right. the pitching. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the defense wasn't yeah, great yeah. either, but you know well well i mean we had we had some good positions that were I think great that's another element where but... they went from awful to competent mm-hmm. and that that feels a whole lot different to watch that mm-hmm. um eli what do you think that, that went wrong for the orioles yeah i i have to look at the offense um like again you know i think we were all relatively pleased with it because uh i don't know you know because we had watched 2018 through 2020 um but we uh yeah I don't know I guess like Rugnet Odor is the first thing to look at you know on the year our second baseman ranked 26th in the league with a 76 WRC plus um our third baseman were 21st in the league our shortstops were 26 in the league and you know, so I guess like I look at that and only one of the four positions on our infield day in, day out was an above average offensive player. Uh, and that definitely like is not a recipe for sustained success. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you know, like I, I, I think that Jorge Mateo probably provides positive value, like we've talked about, because his defense is so good. But you know, that only works as a recipe when he is supplemented by some people who can really bang on either side of him. Uh, and that just wasn't the case this year. Um, we saw things change a bit in September when Gunner came up um, and that looked like a much more well-rounded infield, so to speak. But by that time, then we were losing production from Hayes, like we talked about. Odor was still a black hole in the lineup. Um, you know, Aguilar was being rotated in. And so there were other detractors kind of at the same time as Gunner was coming in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think we need to really look into a way to add an impact bat over the course of this year, somebody to really stabilize uh, the heart of the lineup. 
uh, to go along with Rutschman, Santander, and Henderson. Eli's calling for the Orioles to sign Aaron Judge this offseason. So why yeah. not? Yeah, I, I've, right. I've seen a lot of people talk about that on Twitter, and I I have to say, like, I do not think there's any way that that happens. No. You know, if I am Aaron Judge, well, like him particularly, if I'm Aaron Judge and my greatest skill set is the 62 home runs that I just knocked, I'm not going to a place that's taken away a bunch of them. Like, right. you, you know, he's he's he could go down in history as a home run hitter. Well, and yeah. he's got this prolific production as that. It doesn't make any sense, but that and, tells me that we could sign a pitcher. Well, you know, and for I the would exact same reason. I would say your your reasoning for why Aaron Judge wouldn't want to sign here is the same reasoning why the Orioles wouldn't want to sign Aaron Judge. Like, not right. not that he wouldn't be productive still in some way, but right. they're clearly constructing this team to benefit left-handed hitting right. players, and they're drafting that way. So, like, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to then give the money that essentially is they're going to give Rutschman or Henderson. One of them is going to get a big deal, right? I think in the next year. Uh, now well, it's not gonna be Aaron Judge level, right? Okay, yeah. But you, well, that's a that's a big difference. I mean, they could they could go for a hundred twenty. Judge might be a four hundred million dollar. Nobody sure, yeah. sure. You, but sorry. there's only so many. You can only there's only so much money to go around. Like, and you know, I've always I'm always one that says like it's not my money. I don't care. Spend as as much as you possibly can to put a good team on the field. I don't care. But at the same time, we all understand that the Orioles are only going to spend so much money on the roster. So if we know they only have so much money, we don't know what that figure is. Probably around like, what, $120 million I could see the Orioles going to a year. You know only so much of that can go around. If Aaron Judge is getting $30 million of it, I don't see them spending a whole lot. And also, you're buying the later years in his career, which – I'm happy to have the Yankees do that. He's really good. He'll be really productive there. I just don't see it, it as a fit for the Orioles now or in the future. But it's fun to dream about it for <laughs> a couple months. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, my my yeah. dream is we trade for Shohei. <laughs> that would be incredible. That's why I'm still I dream about it. There was some something where Joey Ortiz is now like a top 100 prospect, and I like he I is. was like, oh, at Angels, did you see this? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You guys need a shortstop. We need a an ace pitcher and a monster hitter. Oh right. yeah. Well, yeah. it just works out perfectly. You know, it's like this stadium was built for him. Oh, it'd be great. It'd be great. And and I could I could reason with giving him the money a little bit more. Um it still feels like not an Orioles move, but it, no, no. it would make 2023 really fun for sure. I don't actually think it will happen for the record, but It'd be pretty cool if it did. Yeah. I I will say, I think it was Kevin Brown. I was watching, you know, when the Orioles were playing the Yankees at the end of the season. And I think it was Kevin Brown who made a comment and my fault, Kevin Brown, if it wasn't you uh, and I'm remembering (laughs) wrong, but but, but, uh, (laughs) but, you know, he made a comment about judge being the likely AL MVP. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm just like, there's no way, you know, I mean, in, you know, for me, I mean, Shohei Otani without barring injury, right. It, you can basically put him in stone as the AL MVP winner for the next five years, because he's an 
he's an MV, you know, he's an all-star offensively and pitching, like independently, yeah. right? So there is just no way to compensate that value. It didn't matter if Judge hit 80 home runs, right? Like well, there's no way to 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 be a more valuable player in my mind than Otani doing so, what he's doing. So yeah, I, I was I don't know. We're getting off topic here, but yeah, super quick. <laughs> I, the, the thing that, um, you know, the big advantage that I always thought was you were getting both of that in one player. And I think the biggest advantage there is that you're getting it in like one contract in one roster you know, spot, one item on the payroll as a, no, but the roster spot actually like that advantage goes away largely. Um, because you have to go to the six-man rotation. Fangraphs did a whole article on it, and I was fascinated by it. But they did a bunch of analysis. Um, and basically, like, if you deploy him in a six-man rotation, you know, your ex- extra roster spot doesn't really go to anything because you, you are constrained to using it to that pitcher to try to keep him healthy. You know, so, like, where the advantage is is you get all that production from one, like, one line item on your payroll, and then you get to you know, boast both of those for the $30 million that he's making next year, as opposed to paying $30 million to, you know, an all-star DH and $30 million to a Cy Young contender. Right. So, well, yeah. I would say that the the all-star DH only type is kind of disappearing, I think. There, yeah, there are still ones right. that will be that. Jose Abreu, I think, will, will be that. And Jordan Alvarez could eventually be that. Um, if he moves off, like if he doesn't play in the field every day, but I think the David Ortiz type in general yeah. isn't going to be as much of a thing, but yeah, I mean, if you compare it with being one of the top, you know, 10 pitchers in the league too, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, I'd be, I would, I would like that. I would like, even though the Orioles were the team that, well, it wasn't, it was 2021. They had like the 19 game losing streak and yep. they snapped it against Shohei. So that's right. Which is just right. went off on him. Um, scored four runs, I think. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Right. Four whole runs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get back on the Orioles. And I think yeah. I, I didn't mention what went wrong for the Orioles. That's where we left off. And I'll just make it real quick. Um, I touched on it in what went right, where the, the health of the position players was good. The what went wrong is the injuries to the pitching staff. It was like all of the injuries were starting pitchers. It was John Means, which was a killer. Tyler Wells, who was the Orioles' best pitcher until he got hurt um chris ellis getting hurt which you know not that he was individually going to be a hugely important player for this team but he ate innings and maybe his injury allowed the orioles to see austin voth and and uh dean kramer a little bit more so maybe it ended up being kind of a positive but uh still you don't want somebody to get hurt um but yeah i think that arguably made a two or three game difference losing john means and and uh, tyler wells um, all right, let's talk most valuable Oriole. This award was already given out by uh, the, the Orioles press, but they didn't ask us our opinion, so we figured we'd give it now. Uh, <laughs> the Oriole, <laughs> Orioles press did give Adley Rutschman the award for Matt, most valuable Oriole. Jesse, do you concur with that evaluation? I do. I don't think it's as uh, runaway uh, as I think a lot of Orioles fans probably would, but I do. Okay. Not run, not well. Who else would be in contention? Yeah, who'd be your runner up? Um, I mean, I I know he's a reliever, but I think 
Felix Bautista is in that conversation. Hmm. Oof, that's always a tough one because yeah. people like it's don't. Hard so. yeah. yeah, he's a reliever. Yep. He is a reliever. All right, Eli, <laughs> your thoughts on most valuable Oriole? Uh, yeah, I concur with Adley Rutschman, and I do think it was a runaway. Yeah. Santan Derek could being in contention for me, he definitely had a great season, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't think of anybody who had a greater impact on this team than Adley, and I don't think it's particularly close. What about Rugnet Odor and his clubhouse <laughs> oh, vibes? Well, Rugnet Odor had an impact. It just yeah. might not have been in the same direction. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> no, I know. I, I think he was probably like, well, I don't we, know. We I, knew what Rugnet Odor was going to be. I mean, we can't be right. mad at Odor, <laughs> right? We knew right, right, exactly right. what he was going to be, and he did exactly what we expected him to, Look. right? It's not like we signed, uh, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's not like we signed a a great Robinson Cano and he turned into Rugnit Odor's performance. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, although Robinson Cano this year, I think I would have rather had well, Rugnit Odor. Than <laughs> right. No, no. I'm just saying, like, you know, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of prime. a prime. prime. Yeah, yeah, a prime Robinson. I, look, I'm I'm an I'm an yeah. Odor apologist in twenty twenty two. And now if he's on the team in twenty twenty three, we're gonna have to have some conversations. But um, yeah, I, I, I hear that. I, I just think the vibes could have been there from the bench and it wouldn't have hurt. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Especially as the season went on and you, and you realize like, Oh, we got something here. Like, right. Yes. Like, I agree. Just, yeah. Put in the people who have the potential to play the best baseball. Yeah. And that was not what happened. <laughs> um. My pick for most valuable Oriole is also Adley Rutschman. I think I'm trying to like think about who else could reasonably be in the conversation. I think maybe you think about Anthony Santander with the 33 home runs, but the total, he's not even, he's not even a, a neutral on defense. He's a negative. He's a drain on the defensive side of things when he plays. Um, and then the other one I would think about is Cedric Mullins, just because he was here all year. He played arguably gold glove defense, which we'll talk about in a second was not as good offensively as he was a year ago, but was still good. Um, so those are probably like my three. I'd probably do Rutschman, Mullins, Santander, if I had to vote. But Rutschman would be far and away the pick. All right, unsung the, here. What, what's that? Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, th- those are all, yeah, it makes it interesting. Yeah. And, and I think you're also right. The fact that Adley wasn't there the first month. It makes it closer, you know? Yeah, it does. And he's a catcher, so he couldn't play as often right. as some of the other players. But, um, yeah, it's 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 just – it coincides with the Orioles' turnaround so much that he came up and then, like, two weeks later, they were right. playing really good. Right. So you kind of got to go with him. Um, Kind of part of that conversation is the Unsung Hero Award. Who did we not give enough credit this year? Jesse, I'll go to you first. Um, who now I'm kind of oh, who okay, I'm gonna (laughs) say I would say Dylan Tate for that. Okay, a bullpen guy. Do you want to explain that at all? Um, well, I just think like he took 
I don't want to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. Uh, okay. He turned he turned into just a critical piece. Um, of course, I mean, we could talk about the whole bullpen. We could talk yeah. about Perez being that, right? Perez is probably even a little more underrated uh, than Tate is. Um, you know, even Baker we could go to, right? But Jesse's just going to name all the players. No, I, I'm, <laughs> no. I'm, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm just, I think that... Um, Right. We had uh, since Lopez was, you know, our closer at the beginning of the year. Um, right. Tate Tate's role uh, shuffled throughout the course of the year. He became the setup guy um, and he did. And right. Of course, Bautista's role. But, um, you know, he's not really Bautista isn't really underrated. So um, yeah. I, I think, yeah, Tate, like definitely was critical got big outs for us um in the one game against the blue jays um it was tate that brandon hyde went to in the fifth or sixth inning or whatever um in that critical uh critical game that we basically had to win uh to keep any chance of making the playoffs alive so um you know i've always been a big dylan tate fan and um i don't i don't think i underrate him in my mind but um, I would definitely view him as like the unsung hero from the Orioles team perspective. Yeah, yeah it's a solid pick. I, I can I can vibe with that. Eli, your pick. Yeah, I was right in line with Jesse. Um, no. I, I had written down Perez and Tate. Um, I think that they were just such unbelievably steady contributors all year. Seeing how Perez just flew under the radar and had a 1.4 ERA you know, he put up almost three war as a reliever, which is, you know, pretty substantial. Um, yeah, I, I mean, both of them, like, we went to them in critical moments throughout the course of the year. Um, they were just infallible, just totally steady throughout the year. There never seemed to be any, like, huge upticks or downswings in their performance. Uh, Dylan Tate, you know, over 70 plus innings had an, had a whip under one, um, you know, it's really like pretty remarkable play. And I think they were, you, you know, you can talk about Lopez and Bautista and the like high octane stuff at the back of the bullpen. But I think those two guys were kind of the linchpins that kept the bullpen as a cohesive and productive unit throughout the course of the year. Um, and yeah, they're, they're my unsung heroes. Yeah. I think those are good picks. Perez was definitely on my radar for that because I think he got kind of, you know, he, he's sort of a very traditional reliever in terms of like, you're on the edge of your seat when he pitches sometimes it gets a little <laughs> dicey, but in the end he gets out of it. He sort of feels has like those kind of early 2000 vibes of a reliever. I don't know if right. that makes sense, but that's like how I think of a closing pitcher from my childhood is like, it might go completely terrible, but it's going to be exciting while it happens. I, I never, I think I focused in on two other players though. One was Austin Voth, who we talked about earlier because the dude just like came in with a horrific ERA, almost 30 <laughs> years old. Like there was no shot. He was going to be anything other than like roster filler for two weeks. And then he'd be gone. Cause we've seen that. We saw that uh, this year with Logan Allen. He kind of he right. reminded me like, Oh, this is gonna be a Logan Allen situation. But both came in, figured something out. The Orioles and him just connected on whatever. 
and ended up being like the best pitcher for the Orioles. It seemed like down the stretch. It's every time he went out, it's like he's going to throw five innings, allow a run, strike out five, and then right. it's going to take over. Um, so he's definitely in there. And I think the other guy that is like the perennial embodiment of this is Ramon Urias because he just is like solid. <laughs> he yeah. definitely has his dips and stuff, but getting the third base job every day, I think he was really good with the glove. Um, there's not a ton of pop in his bat, but he puts the ball in play, doesn't strike out a whole lot, is really solid. I would love to see him stay on this team in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure he's an everyday player, but I'd love to see him as the guy that can fill in at second, short, third, give give Jorge a day off, Gunner a day off. And like I think you still get him in the lineup three days a week with that sort of formula. So yeah. I think those are the two for me. Maybe you give both the nod because he was so unexpected, whereas Urias is like has been an everyday player on this team for two years now. But um, those two were hugely important to this team. Agreed. Definitely. Cool. Um, all right, let's talk Cy Young. Jesse, I feel like you deserve the floor on this one because you made a preseason prediction on who could not not. I don't think you picked them as your Cy Young. Right, he brought up their name. I, I, right, I said if Means got hurt, which is okay. exactly what ended up happening. <laughs> I could see this situation playing out, but yeah, I mean Dean Kramer. Um, yeah. I mean if if we're not giving it to Felix Bautista, who I also think is in contention for the Cy Young Award, right for the Orioles. Yeah. Um, if we're not doing that, then definitely Dean Kramer as a starting pitcher. So, um, I think it's I think it's between the two of them. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, the the thing for me, it's really hard to make a case against Bautista because he was basically as good as you could possibly realistically be uh, as a bullpen guy. So um, I mean, obviously, Bautista is more dominant. He, you know, prefer he. I would say he performed closer to like the the top potential in a in a given role right like if you take the ideal closer ever you know or the ideal starting pitcher right. ever right like Felix Bautista got closer to the ideal than Dean Kramer got to being a starter um yeah so it's you know I don't know in my mind it's 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 really tough between those two uh but you know I mean, Dean Kramer was basically so impressive all year too, in basically a year he had to be. Um, I mean, if he really struggled this year, I think the Orioles would have started looking in other directions and at other options. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I'm really torn between the both of them. But Do you think Dean Kramer did enough for you to say that the Orioles won the Manny Machado trade? <laughs> uh no i would not uh no that is uh definitely it is manny machado and of course with the year he had you know um but uh but i i definitely think that dean kramer is one of the starters uh next year i think that spot okay. is solidified for him yeah maybe opening day starter we'll talk there's a we'll good chance yeah. I, I mean probably the orioles will sign somebody but if the Orioles went into next year with these available starters, I mean, he'd be a one or a two for sure, you know? So, um, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So, so you're going, you are going Batista though, as your Cy Young, but Dean's right behind him. Is that what you're saying? <sighs> I, I, I it's kinda, not that big of a deal. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I'll go Batista. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Eli, what do you think? Yeah. Batista's mine. Um, I know it's controversial, but I think that Zach Britton should have won it in 2016 or whatever it was. Um, I, yeah, I, I think Bautista was just so unbelievably dominant. Um, you know, you got to just love his story, like signed as a minor league free agent. He came up through, I think he started in low A last year and then went high A, double A, and triple A all in one year. Yeah, something insane. Like, yeah, broke camp with us. And he's just thrown, you know, 102 mile an hour ched with, I mean, two like wipeout put away pitches. The slider he doesn't even really use because the splitter is one of the best splitters on the planet. It, it's <laughs> like, um, yeah, the guy was phenomenal all year. And it, you just kind of, I, I mean, I, you know, I think he could have held down the closer position all year. I, I think that. You know, Lopez was obviously phenomenal for us, and it's nothing against him, but uh, you just look at Bautista, and from the moment that he came up, he was willing to step into big situations, and he was able to keep his composure through them. Um, and because of that, he's my guy. I, I cannot get through this section without giving a shout-out to Jordan Lyles, though. Right. Um, he, he was, like, everything you could have possibly asked for and so much more. Um, he was... Yeah, I, I mean, he he ate innings, but he did so wildly effectively. You know, he would go seven innings of two-run ball against the Yankees. You know, he was like, he was phenomenal for us. Um, and so I have to give the shout-out to Lyles. Jesse talked about Kramer. Um, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I'll give it a clean sweep for Batista just because – uh, not that he's that young, but he's that inexperienced to just come in and take that role over, make it his own. And the Orioles now enter the offseason without a hole at closer, I think, which I'm not sure that I saw that being the case. Like if you asked me in April, will the Orioles be looking for a closer this offseason? I probably would have hmm. said, yeah, um, but now they don't have to do that. He had the knee stuff at the end, but that sounds like that's not a big deal. They're just protecting him. Right. Um, and I think kind of in the same vein as you mentioning Lyles, I'll, I'll mention Spencer Watkins. This is more of an unsung hero type of a situation because Watkins obviously wasn't like dominant or anything. But after having the season that he did in 2021 being like dreadful, and I think a lot of people are saying like, why is this dude keep getting chances? <laughs> he came up and was like super important to this team being stable. He, you know wasn't lights out or anything but through over 100 innings he cut his era basically in half this year um so i think he played the role that i expected bruce zimmerman to play most of the year right um, so maybe the the like net outcome wasn't really much different than we expected from like the fifth guy in the rotation but um still still really valuable in its own way but yeah bautista clearly for me uh is the guy um all right, let's move to the gold glove contenders section. There are some guys in the Orioles this year that I think could win a gold glove. And I think it's kind of obvious who they are, but I'm interested to hear your guys take and maybe, you know, who you think individually was the best fielder on the Orioles and who you think could actually win a gold glove. So Eli, maybe I'll go to you first. Do you want to give me who uh, you think like the absolute best fielder on the 2022 Baltimore Orioles was? 
Yeah, absolute best to go Jorge Mateo. Um, I think that's a, I don't know, non-controversial pick. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah he, he was phenomenal. He was super steady. He was just doing things that, I don't know, Tyler, you, you brought up the comparison of J.J. Hardy, not because of their similarity, but because of the style of shortstop that they play and just like how Hardy was this, you know, he did some pre-pitch positioning. He was very yeah. smart about how he set himself. And then he would just like do the routine very, very consistently. And Mateo, you know, seemingly can handle all of the routine stuff, but then we'll also, you'll see him flying out in the hole behind second base, you know, whirling and twirling. Um, he seemingly perfected the like one, two hop throw to Mount Castle as he's like deep in the five and a half hole. And he was just doing all this really stupendous stuff um, along with leading the league in stolen bases. Not that that's a factor in a gold glove, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, he, he was super exciting all year. Um, and so I give it to Jorge Mateo. Um, we have Mullins written on the outline and I will let you guys address him. Um, for me, like, I don't think people usually do knock him for the arm, of course. And I think that'll keep him away from another gold glove. But somebody we don't have on the outline that was is a surprise contender. I'm not fully sure that he'll get it. I think I know uh, who you're gonna say. But Go Ryan Mountcastle. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he like he was really phenomenal. And you know, in the top 20, 25 percent uh, on baseball savant for outs above average. So uh, we'll be. I'll, I'll be interested to see if he gets some votes um and how high he climbs but i mean that was a like wild wild development that i never could have seen coming in a million years you know it seemed like he was just slated to play first base until you found somebody who could kick him to dh (laughs) and right um yeah no he's been he's been phenomenal over there this year and a welcome welcome improvement well, and we had tried him out at third like a while ago, and yeah. he did not it, he did not work, right? Yeah, uh, he so was drafted as a shortstop. He, right. Yeah. The fact he found a home over at first is is nice. Now he just has to hit well enough to stay over there. Which that's a whole discussion, I think, for the offseason right. too, of like his numbers aren't good this year, but he was hitting the ball really hard. But like, right. they weren't good for a first baseman. But um right. I don't know. We'll talk about it. But Jess, you want to go? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, of course, Mateo is the the easy, you know, pick. I think he should win a, a gold glove. And if he doesn't, I'm going to be upset about it. Um, <laughs> let me just say that. Um, okay. So uh, there's that. Uh, yeah, Mountcastle, he is good. Uh, and he was definitely a surprise, like Eli talked about. Every once in a while, he would frustrate me because he wouldn't pick a ball. I felt like he should have, but overall the numbers are there the metrics are there like he absolutely was a good first baseman and yeah like as far as Mullins goes um you know he's definitely exactly what we expected um obviously great defensively um but I think he's gonna uh fall short of a gold glove this year too so yeah I think I concur with you guys I won't you know, belabor the point. I think Jorge Mateo uh, might not win the gold glove, but I think he definitely should be a finalist. I'm not sure. I think, uh, yeah, 
was it Nicky Lopez? Somebody was like slightly above him on a list or whatever, but he should definitely be a finalist. And it's, it's such a, it's so out of left field that he became this kind of gold glove guy. Not the, he had the athleticism, but I don't think that that was kind of his calling card when the Orioles got him was, Oh yeah. He's like this plus defender. That's going to got a future as a gold glove winner. Um, a little disappointed you guys didn't mention Brett Phillips as a gold glove contender. Uh, <laughs> really solid in the like two weeks he was in Oriole. That's so, true. Right. Uh, no. <laughs> that, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, what's crazy well, is, I don't know, he's probably up there on the outs above average leaderboard. Yeah. Uh, he just, uh, it, none, of the, none of that time was with us. What about Rutschman? Yeah. Was he not I, up long enough or? Yeah. Hmm. I, I mean, he's definitely deserving. I Yeah, I guess I just didn't think that he's been up long enough. I, I don't know. I'm also, like, in my mind right now, questioning why I didn't immediately jump to that, because he's <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I think that was a brain fart on my part. I don't know. Maybe you guys have more reasoning. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, he could definitely get knocked by not being up long enough. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what stands out to me is he wasn't up long enough. He I, offensively, he had some struggles to start. I, I can't say that I looked back and, and looked at what he did in the first month defensively to say, you know, whether he was elite or not. But, yeah, I think it's tough to to come up and say this guy that's played a month and a half less than these other guys is going to get the gold glove. But I think that him being up is an important part of the pitching staff being better, too. I don't Definitely. think it's like a mistake or like random that the pitchers got better. Rushman was up. It's right. all connected. Now, how much does that play into the gold glove? I don't know. That gold glove voting is is weird that way because there is an offensive component to it. As much as we don't want to think there is, there is. <laughs> so I could see again where he's like a finalist or something because he's a big name now relatively, but it probably will end up going to – uh, somebody else, Trevino or something with the Yankees, because he was a, yeah. an all-star and he's a Yankee and and he was good this year. Um, so I don't know. Jesse, any thoughts on Rutschman? Um, yeah, I'd be surprised if he got it. Of course, he is very good defensively, but um, yeah, I feel like someone else will get it. Fair enough. Okay, let's go into the dugout and talk about Brandon Hyde. Hey, Tyler, I've actually, I just went and looked up some outs above average leaderboards and wanted to share. So, Rutschman, they do not quantify outs above average because he's a catcher. Right. But uh, Ryan Mountcastle was second in the American League. Owen Miller had four outs above average. Ryan Mountcastle had three. Uh, For first Mateo. Say it again. For for his position. Yeah, for first baseman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jorge Mateo for shortstops actually was first in the American League. There are four mm. National League shortstops ahead of him. Um, but, yeah, he is fifth in MLB, and the next is Nick Allen, who is eighth in MLB, and I don't think it's going to Nick Allen. Um, immediately after is Nicky Lopez, who by some other okay. defensive metrics was better. Yeah. Uh, and then Cedric Mullins was – I guess we can say fourth in the American League behind Jose Siri, Miles Straw, and Byron Buxton. Okay, so, that seems right. Yeah, that I, right. yeah. I, all of these guys are like 
worthy, I guess is the point. Um, and it's kind of nice to say we've got multiple plus defenders on the team, just as a general note. Yeah. And theoretically, that'll go even better next year with right. Ruxman being up all year, Henderson playing a position all year. Um, right. Yeah, that's cool. Nice. Thank you for that, Eli. Here to help. Okay, let's talk Brandon Hyde. Uh, he's been sort of a, I don't know, people are very split on Brandon Hyde, it seems. I'm definitely in his corner, but I think first we talk about two things. One is, since we're talking awards here, is maybe his candidacy and his claim, his stake to claim manager of the year awards in the American League. And then maybe we talk about his role with the Orioles and sort of what we think he's going to do with the Orioles moving forward. So Jesse, maybe I'll go to you first and let's talk about Brandon Hyde as the manager of the year in the American league. Do you think he's the guy, if not him, who else is in contention and ultimately, yeah, I guess, is he going to win it? Based upon how the award is historically been distributed, it's normally given to the manager of the team that has the sort of biggest surprise or the biggest turnaround um, so I think it makes sense that Hyde will get the award. I, I think, um, I think, you know, he, I would say he's 70, 80% chance likely to get the award. I think he's a heavy favorite to get it. Um, the award is never generally given to like the manager of an already good team. So someone like Dave Roberts, um, is never going to get the award or someone like Dusty Baker is never going to get the award. Dave Roberts um, has gotten the award. He has in the past, right, when he turned <laughs> the Dodgers around, but he's not going to get it under with this Dodgers team. And Dusty Baker isn't going to get it with this Astros team, right? So um, despite, you know, in my view, you know, solid reasoning for them to get the award. But um, no, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think, as I said, I think Hyde is a heavy favorite to get the award. I mean, the Orioles were talked about this year basically as the best story in baseball. Um, and of course we, you know, we really pulled off some, some Orioles magic this year. Um, and Hyde obviously had a big role in that. So, um, yeah, I, I do think he's going to be uh, manager of the year. I think, uh, he's deserving of it even though i think the award is somewhat nonsensical um in general <laughs> um and i just say that because i think you know the public uh does not see 98 percent of what managers do throughout the course of the year um so i think it's really hard to to give the award and i think the fact that the award always goes to you know basically whoever the manager that turned you know the team around is indicative of the fact that we don't really uh have a good way to distribute the award the award so the only other possible candidate uh i think is scott service of the mariners um of course he does have the uh the advantage of having a playoff team which the orioles do not have um but even with that said um you know, we had talked about earlier, the Mariners were just a better team, period, had better players, had a better rotation lineup. Um, they had the benefit of Julio Rodriguez all year. So, um, you know, I think it's despite uh, service helping the Mariners turn around this playoff drought that they've had forever. And they've had a few years of sort of just missing the playoffs. 
um, the Mariners uh, were just a much better team in general and less shocking that they are good and competitive than the Orioles. Um, so that's why I definitely think Hyde is going to get it. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. It does seem to be, you know, because it's voted on, it seems to be whatever team has the greatest outcome compared to what the writer's expectation is of <laughs> that team. And I, some years that's probably just based off of like a miscalculation from the writers, but I think this year it is fair to say that the Orioles by far outperformed expectations across the board. Um, Eli, what are your thoughts on Hyde? Uh, maybe taking home AL manager of the year. Yeah, I I largely agree with everything Jess said. Um, I, I think that there is, I, I don't know, th- there's also kind of a bias toward like the Bob Melvins and Kevin Cash's in the sense that they're managing low payroll teams, uh, which was also the case for Hyde this year and performing well on, you know, payroll comparable to Max Scherzer's salary was you know it's an accomplishment and it um i don't know yeah like orioles fans had a lot of problems with hyde um i guess this will be a little bit more of a conversation we'll get into in a minute but you know it's like there are questions in today's game as to what role a manager is really playing when so much of this is driven by you know your analytical computational teams um and basically the you know the matchups that they put out you know the you all know what i'm saying (laughs) but yeah just there are questions as to like what uh what sway the manager has in personnel decisions um and i think that's valid on this orioles team you know i think there are a lot of questions as to how much input Brandon Hyde has in the day-to-day lineup into what pitchers are getting innings at what times, et cetera. So I think that's a pretty interesting discussion to have, but for the purposes of this award, I think it's pretty difficult to argue with a 31 game swing from year to year with, you know, largely the same personnel. Yeah. I think the other name I would throw in there as a candidate is John Schneider of the blue Jays because he took over obviously a very talented team that a lot of money got spent on, but he took over mid season after they fired uh, Montoyo, which is kind of a tough spot to be in clearly. I, I mean, I will say like the reporting at the time indicated that it wasn't like the blue Jays players were mad with Montoyo or didn't like him or, you know, it wasn't like it was dysfunction in the clubhouse. It sounds like they just felt like they needed somebody that was going to be a little bit more like, uh, I guess, pump him up a little bit. It sounded like Montoyo kind yeah. of just let them walk all over him and was like a player's manager. And they actively wanted somebody to be a little bit more hard-nosed. But Schneider took over a difficult situation and got them into the playoffs. And I think that will garner him some votes. I'm kind of, I feel like the man, the Mariners manager, Cervase might take it because they snapped like whatever the longest the drought. 21 years sports of like not going to the playoffs. That's like, just sounds very like on paper. That's very impressive sounding. Obviously they were on the doorstep of that last year. And you could argue they kind of collapsed last year to knock it in, but um, you could argue they collapsed this year too. That's it's true. Just we were also <laughs> collapsing at the same time. <laughs> I mean, right. the, the other, the other thing about that too is, um, 
I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that is another thing. Um, well, if you think of it, bring it up. But um, but yeah, I, I think that that's my, my guess is at the end of the day, uh, Surveys is going to get the award with Hyde in second and Schneider maybe third. Because yeah, other than that, I can't really see anybody in the AL getting it because it's it's a lot of the same teams it always is. Yeah. I I don't think any I don't think anyone else is going to get it and I don't think this honorable mention is has any shot to get it, but the one other person I would say is Terry Francona uh, that was for the, the Guardians because yeah. they are a really good team. I obviously uh, I mean the playoffs is not supposed to factor right. into the decision making even though it obviously will. Um so, uh, I mean, even the Mariners winning the series against the Blue Jays that, you know, is going to help Cervase's case, I think. Um, but well, they vote on it. I think they vote, have already voted on it before uh, the postseason started, so it doesn't impact. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, Terry Francona with the Guardians. I mean, this is a really young team. They got a couple key veterans, uh, you know, that uh, obviously play a massive role. But, I mean, if you look at their lineup up and down, I mean, there are so many first-year players, so many guys just kind of finding their way in the big leagues, and he has really done a great job with them, despite how much it pains me to be saying this because I hate, you know, anybody affiliated with the Red Sox, of course, um, let alone the manager who, you know, broke their drought. So, um, but, you know, in all seriousness, like he definitely you know, deserves a lot of respect for what he's done with them. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely part of like Eli's uh, point about low payroll or like small market. Cause the, yeah. the guardians just, they trade away everybody that's good. Uh, and he, they were crazy good in September. They went 21 and eight in September yeah. to really run away yeah. with that division, which is the weakest division in baseball, but for um, sure. Yeah. But uh, Jesse made a point about them being young. They are the youngest team in the game. Uh, so yeah, that, probably a factor going for him. That's and they they had a pretty big swing in wins this year. They won right. a good chunk more than they did a year ago. So I think that's a good point. Um, all right, back to Hyde for a second. Let's just talk about Hyde. And I think Jesse even brought up a good point about what goes into the decisions on the field. Because I made this point on Camden chat last week, where basically the, the title of the article I think was the Orioles finally gave Brandon Hyde a talented roster and it paid off. You know, this is the first time the Orioles have had any sort of major league level talent actually at the major leagues while Hyde has been the manager. We talked earlier about how they got outscored this year. So their Pythagorean win losses was like the opposite was like 79 and 83, but they went 83 and 79. Um, I think all of that points to the fact that what Brandon Hyde is doing in terms of like what a manager is supposed to be doing or is expected to do in the modern game is a pot, a net positive for the team. Uh, he's maintained a good solid clubhouse. That's what all the reports that come out about him or not reports that come out about him, but all the quotes that come out of the Orioles, Jordan Lyles said something about it in one of his final starts saying like the clubhouse culture is great. And part of that is Rugnet Odor, Robinson Chirinos, yada, 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 all those guys being really good. Um, I think John Means has talked about Brandon Hyde and having really good talks with him. Trey Mancini has said things. All this is just to say that I think what Brandon Hyde does in his job 
is really excellent as far as like what he has control over. And I think that a lot of people, especially on Orioles Twitter, get upset with him about lineups or pitching changes or whatever else it may be. And these are things that are not entirely his decision to be made. Um, and I personally am just, I've been, I've been pleasantly surprised with the job Hyde has done this year. I know Jesse, you've had some, you've mentioned some things about bullpen decisions, but um, Hyde has been really impressive to me in terms of how he handles himself, the clubhouse culture, and he is not actively holding the team back. I think he's a net positive and I'm excited for him to be the manager in 2023. Now beyond 2023, I will say nothing is guaranteed expectations are going to be raised all of that stuff and if the team falls short i think the playoffs likely are the goal next year if the orioles don't make for the playoffs sure. next year then we reevaluate but i think in the immediate future um i like brandon hyde as the orioles manager um jess what do you think well i was kind of thinking about the irony uh i mean we have been critical of hyde you know throughout the course of the year of, you know, of course, it is true. Elias, you know, is probably in his head when he's making in-game decisions, right? And of course, uh, Elias has a lot to do with setting the lineup every day and that sort of thing. That's for sure. Um, of course, I mean, it's hard for us, you know, I mean, we kind of have to hold Hyde accountable for those things because on the, you know, on the surface, like those are supposed to be his decisions, theoretically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's hard for us to distinguish if there's like a puppet master, you know, behind him, like, and to what extent they're pulling the strings. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, and I do find it somewhat ironic, right? I mean, me and Eli thought Hyde was going to get it. You think service or service might get it, um, for the Mariners, but I mean, you know, I feel like we have been critical of Hyde. I remember a few episodes ago, you know, um, Eli was talking about why Stowers was not getting more at bats instead of Hayes. Right. There have been these sorts of things all throughout the year that have been coming up. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that is that is a thing. Um, but, you know, obviously, with all that said, right, like the results, you know, for the Orioles this year have been there. But right. I mean, again, I think you raise a good question to Tyler is like, well, how much is that actually Brandon Hyde? Right. I mean, how much is that Hyde? Um, You know, the Orioles probably wouldn't have been, uh, you know, anywhere close to this if Adley had not come up and we had just had like Chirinos and like Ben Boom or something like that playing catcher all year like our results probably would have just been as disastrous as the previous year, you know. So, right. Is that I mean, obviously you know, all the factors are influencing everything and you can't isolate like, you know, one player, whatever, in a vacuum, you know, or one manager in a vacuum, obviously everything influences everything else, but, um, right. Like, is it Hyde or, you know, in some ways is Hyde like benefiting and, you know, from a lot of the forces that are going on around him. And obviously it's probably a factor of both. Right. Mm. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's fair Um, until we get some sort of, you know, reporting done that lays out exactly how the Orioles decision making takes place, which I don't see happening because the Orioles are like the most tight lipped organization in Major League Baseball. Um, You know, we kind of have to just assume that there's a black box there and 
you judge Brandon Hyde based on how he conducts himself and clubhouse culture that we can see and, you know, winning makes all that stuff a lot easier. And the Orioles did a good amount of winning this year. So we'll see. Um, Eli, what's your takeaway on maybe Brandon Hyde, the job he's doing and moving forward? Yeah. I, you know, I think at the very least, yeah, he should be here next year and he should have our support going into it. Um, You know, this year was a success and uh, we expect that the front office will bring in some more talent in this upcoming year. We expect that the Orioles will continue to take steps forward. And I don't know, you, you know, like you said, Tyler, you give him a talented roster and uh, we gave him one this year. And if we give him a more talented one next year, there's no reason to suspect that he won't make the most of it. Um, so, I, you know, we, we go in, I think, yeah, he should keep our support. I think, like, on the whole, you know, there are always going to be some stuff that we disagree with managers on, you know, as the, like, you know, the couch coaches that we all are. <laughs> so I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that he's done anything so egregious that I, you know, don't trust right. his decision-making on the whole or anything. Um, so, yeah, I, he's got my support. Uh, I'm ready to rock for next year. And I think, uh, yeah, I think we give him a little bit more and we see what happens. See if we can't make the playoffs here. I I mean, and for anybody critical, I mean, we all, I mean, I think it was pretty universal. The Orioles had like faith in Buckshaw Walter when he was the manager and then he like left Britain in the bullpen. So, you know, managers can be, (laughs) managers can be kind of finicky in that way. So. Yeah. And that's a whole element of it too, is you have to have the players to make it work. And we all loved Buck until the 2018 season was an absolute disaster. And if you look at the roster that started that year, it's not like it was a totally devoid of talent roster. Um, But now Buck's with the Mets and they spent a whole lot of money and they were very good this year. And he seems to have learned from the Britain mistake because he left he left Edwin Diaz in maybe a little long last night after the Mets took the lead, but I guess better than the inverse there. Um, that was that was wild, yeah. Yeah, especially I, with uh, – we're recording this before the decisive game three, and right, you would imagine Edwin Diaz has to be available in some way, shape, or form tonight, but probably not at 100%, so we'll see. I was also going to say, you know, I get bringing Diaz in earlier than the ninth, but he was facing eight, nine, one. So it's not like he even saved him for Machado and bell. And so that was also bizarre a little bit. So it was, and this will immediately be aged by whatever happens today. We're recording on the day of game three. So um, maybe it works out hopefully. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Okay, cool. That sounds good. I'm excited about Brandon Hyde for now until uh, we go on like a 10 game losing skid and suddenly the playoffs are a lot tougher to, expect but uh let's do a little bit off off season sort of preview here in terms of looking at the expiring contracts the Orioles have coming up the Orioles don't have a ton of guys I listed four players here there may be a few more that are you know minor league guys or whatever but these are sort of the four guys that the Orioles had on the roster in 2022 that it's sort of up in the air in terms of if they come back in 2023 and those four guys are Rugnet Odor, Robinson Chirinos, Jesus Aguilar, and Jordan Lyles. Now, Lyles does have an $11 million option for 2023, and I believe the buyout for it is like $500,000. So It's $1 million. 
one million dollars yeah. okay and he made seven million this year so um it would be a jump up for lyles there but yeah let's talk about those four and you know Eli, maybe I'll go to you first. You can talk about them in order or just kind of, you know, quickly go through it. But of those four, do you see any of them coming back? Um, if so, maybe explain why or if you had any tough decisions to make there. Yeah, uh, I can see Jordan Lyles coming back. Uh, I'm, admittedly, I've wavered on this and I'm not sure I have my mindset one way or another. Um well, I guess I should start. Rugnet Adore, Robin Centurinos, and Jesus Aguilar are all gone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, Lyles, I think, is a super inter- interesting question here because, like, I don't know. If, if you had told me that he had this season without, like, at the beginning of last year, if you would have told me that he was going to put together the season he was and you would not have told me anything else about the Orioles' rotation, I would have said this was a no-brainer. But the fact that, you know, somebody like a Spencer Watkins actually was reasonably successful this year. And at the same time, both came along. You know, Kramer picked it up. Bradish started to look like a pitcher. Tyler Wells was effective as he was. And we're getting John Means back next year. I, I like, I am a huge proponent of rotation depth. Like you look over at the Dodgers and Tony Gonsolin's been stuck in the bullpen for like 12 years, but he comes out this year and he's an all-star, you know, but, and uh-huh. Clayton Kershaw is down for almost the whole year. They're like losing guys left and right. Bueller's out for the rest of the year. Uh, you know, like that is what makes a world series contender rather than a playoff contender is I think that kind of depth and that kind of like, uh fortitude you know in the face of an injury um and so i you know i want to say pick up jordan lyles no question about it but i i am a little bit skeptical that it happens because i mean in in my mind i'm like doubtful as to how much the orioles will truly escalate the payroll this year partially in anticipation of like a gunner or an adley extension um And I look at, you know, like the $10 million decision, the $11 million option minus the $1 million buyout. I look at that $10 million decision and I say like, well, you know, does that turn us from like a mid-tier starter like Chris Bassett or something into a Carlos Rodon if we have an extra $10 million to spend next year? And given that we do already seemingly have some depth here with both with Kramer, with Bradish, with Wells, with Watkins, you know, not to mention Gray Rod coming up next year. There are a lot of, there are a lot of options. And I didn't even mention like DL Hall, you know, that there are a lot of arms who seemingly could be pretty effective next year. Um, and that puts Jordan Lyles into question for me. It, it's, I feel bad because it has nothing to do with him. He did everything he possibly could have to get this option picked up. Um, But it is in doubt. Well, I mean, what I will say, and Jesse, maybe you were about to say this, so sorry to steal your thunder, is that they could turn down the option and still re-sign him to less than $11 million, or I guess, you know, less than $10 million. Yeah, that's definitely true too. Which or I we mean, could also pick up the option and trade him. I, I think that's another remote possibility but, too. Uh, pull a Jose Iglesias on him. Yeah, Jess, did you want to? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, 
I I kind of do think the Orioles will take him back. Um, and I do think the Orioles will pick up the option. Um, right. I think if there is just this giant surplus of of pitching depth next year and he just doesn't fit in the rotation, right, he could be a trade piece at the deadline. Um, I think that's definitely an option. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that if the Orioles decline the option, I think Lyles would be looking to make more money than what the second year of this contract is because he had such a great year last year. Um, so I don't think he would make a lot more, but I think he would be expecting at least that, um, you know, because his value, you know, dramatically, I think, increased over the last year. So um, granted, the Orioles were kind of uh, signing him from a position of weakness. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. That is true. At the time, we needed pitching depth and we sort of needed Lyle. So you know, it's arguable we overpaid a little bit for him, right? Um, but overall, um, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Lyle came into next year, like, at least wanting that number. So I'm not sure the declining the option and then re-signing really works. Um, what I would well, say it, that... It, the, uh, the, oh, the, trade is, the trade is that you give him more years, you, you know? Right. Like, you, you give him two three years instead of the one and you get right right true right yeah yeah yeah, that's a good point i but again like i mean for the or from the orioles perspective i don't think a longer term deal makes sense right um so yeah so um yeah i i think if lyle's returns it you know it needs to be a one-year thing um so there's that the the only other thing i would say um uh, Eli was pretty dismissive of the three other options. The the only thing I would say, not outdoor, you know, don't don't get real worried. But as far as Chirinos, he's no. def okay. Well, let me let me make my <laughs> point here. Um, I think a lot of it depends on what playing time they expect Adley to get next year, and how much they expect him to be behind the plate. Um, if they really anticipate ramping up. Uh, the number of innings that he catches. Um, and if he doesn't DH as frequently um, as he does, he, as he did this year, um, I could see Chirinos being uh, like, obviously a cheap option to back him up. I think that if um, Adley, if our backup catcher is going next year is going to be playing the amount of time uh anything comparable to what Chirinos was playing this year. I definitely think the Orioles want to try to find an upgrade for him. Um, But if, if it turns into a situation where Chirinos catches, you know, basically just Sundays, you know, day, uh, day game after night game sort of thing, which I expect the Orioles are going to be a little more uh, treating Adley with kids gloves than that. But if they really do anticipate ramping up, uh, Adley's innings I could see Chirinos coming back as a cheap option especially if Adley you know of course they say Adley loves working with you know Chirinos of course that's the storyline you know who knows how irreplaceable Adley feels Chirinos is for knowledge and insight and that sort of thing um, but regardless uh, 
you know, if Adley really does love Chirinos and for whatever reason, they are a really good pair together and Adley is going to be playing a much larger percentage of uh, catcher next year and uh, is going to reduce Chirinos's innings uh, next year, then I could see Chirinos coming back. But if it's anything like what it was this year, I think the Orioles need to definitely find a better option. Yeah, I don't see Chirinos coming back for because I think what you just said is that's the outcome is going to be they're going to want to DH more, Adley Adley more often. And this goes back to what I've said for months is that I think Anthony Santander is on the block because they don't want an everyday DH. And that's kind of what Santander is turning into because he's pretty much unplayable in the field. So they want that DH slot open so they can shuffle Adley in there. The name that's popped up a lot already early is uh, Wilson Contreras from the Cubs talking about basically going back and forth with him and Adley, DH and catcher, which is an interesting, like, I don't know if if a team has done that before, had like two all-star level players at the same position and actively gone 50-50 with them. But it's an idea. I don't, I don't mind it, but um, I don't know. Back to the Lyles thing for a second. Like, I don't think Lyles was good this year for what the Orioles wanted him for. He ate the innings, all that stuff. But if you look at his numbers, they're pretty much like almost across the board. If you don't look at ERA, which I know that's a tough number to ignore, but almost all of his numbers across the board are identical to what they were in Texas last year. He threw one less inning. He allowed two more hits. He, uh, his whip was 1.389 last year. It was 1.385 this year. He had 2.8 walks per nine last year, 2.6 walks per nine this year, 7.3 strikeouts per nine last year, 7.2 strikeouts per nine this year. He was largely the same pitcher. I think in general pitching in the league was slightly worse this year, which makes him a little better this year in like percentiles and all that stuff. But I think Jordan Lyles was essentially the same pitcher and he's now a year older. I'm not sure that he goes out on the free agent market and gets $10 million. So I could see the Orioles saying like, yeah, Jordan, we'd love to have you back. Maybe at, maybe at what you made this year, maybe a little bit less because, Hey, we've got Grayson Rodriguez coming up. We've signed Chris Bassett. We've got uh, Dean Kramer looking really good. Like you're probably going to be our five this year and we really love you, but not at $11 million. Um, so that would be like a game I think they play this offseason. Um, but I think the Orioles, they can't sign a pitcher just to with the mindset of trading them anymore. I think we're kind of beyond that at this point. And for all that depth and stuff, I think that you hope the Orioles have found that secret sauce for developing pitchers, which I think they may have a little bit because you've seen them do it with both. Uh, you saw Bradish kind of figure things out. And also Bradish is an example of it coming over from the angels as like a relief pitching prospect, essentially. And the Orioles turning him into a viable starter in the big leagues. So I think like, yeah, Lyles could be back as a back end of the rotation guy as insurance until means gets back, but you're not going to pay that guy $11 million to do that. So that'll be my one caveat is I could see Lyles back on a reduced salary, but yeah, the other three, I think, are are gone. I think, Jesse, you joked before about Odor coming back on a minor league contract. I don't think that's, like, totally impossible. <laughs> but I would say probably not with the Orioles because they're 
there is now sort of they they have the infield prospects that are at AAA, and I just don't see it happening. Right, we we have the depth to yeah. to replace him. Jordan right. Westberg, Joey Ortiz, like they're here. Vavra Odias, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, they're ready to go. So, um, I think those guys have played an important role in developing the chemistry and the culture in the locker room, and I think that does have value that you can't get on a stat sheet, but I think we've got that value now, and it's time to to move on. Um, to bigger and better things in 2023 so yeah yeah I, I had one last note mm-hmm. just with regard to Chirinos we did go out and we picked up Kim Gallagher um, in September and then there was also we just added Anthony Bemboom to the 40 yeah. man to protect him from minor league free agency so I do think there's like I don't know. I, I think the Orioles are gearing up for another like backup catcher competition next year to see what happens. I, I don't anticipate um, adding a fourth catcher to the 40 man. That doesn't really make sense to me in Chirinos, that is. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, it'll be interesting when they get to um, protecting players for the rule five. Cause I know Maverick Hanley is mm. rule five eligible. Although I know he's also not like a top prospect or anything. Um, so they might not protect him, but yeah, I hear what you're saying there. It's a good call. Yeah. All right. So that kind of concludes our look back at the 2022 Orioles. We did have one little bit of news here at the end. We wanted to touch on, which was that the Orioles are expected to sign a new lease with Camden yards and the Maryland stadium authority to keep them in Baltimore for, I think it's another five years, at least. I think that's what they're exercising is a, is a one-time option to extend their stay at Camden Yards for five years. In addition to that, you have uh, that the, I think it was the, I don't know exactly what part of the Maryland legislature approved it, but there's a bunch of money going into the Camden Yards sports complex that will improve Oriole Park and m Bank Stadium and the parking lots and all that jazz. And then also the Orioles, uh, this week the news came out that they are planning to get new bids for the concessions contract at Camden Yards. It's basically all these indications that the Orioles are putting things in place to stay at Camden Yards for quite a while here. Um, So Eli, what do you think about this news? Are you surprised by it? And do you think it'll stave off some future speculations on a move to Nashville, which has been basically an annual story around the Orioles for a decade now, at least? Yeah. uh, Hopefully this will keep people quiet for a little bit. Um, Yeah. I, I, I think that the Orioles have a good setup here, you know, like the park is, uh, you know, pretty much renowned as one of the more beautiful ones in the game. Like every list you look at, it's in the top five, top 10. It's credited with like bringing in this new like style of ballparks. Uh, Pretty much every park that you see that is created nowadays has some element of Camden Yards in it. And I think just as a whole, you know, the Orioles have a good setup here. Um, and yeah, I mean, this lease is an indication that ownership agrees largely. And even in the midst of, you know, as they are potentially looking to sell the team, they're convinced that staying in Baltimore is a good thing, even, you know, for a pers- prospective buyer, you know, they're saying that this Camden Yard setup is a good one for us. And Baltimore, you know, takes care of the team in such a way that, you know, there will be a stable source of funding for whoever's coming in to look at buying this team. So I think, uh, yeah, you know, it definitely like Baltimore is good for business, I guess is what it says. And, uh, 
that's comforting, of course, as a dedicated Orioles fan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jesse, are you excited about this news of a lease being extended? This is the spicy baseball news we care about. <laughs> Uh, I've, I mean, yeah, it's it's good, you know, from an Orioles fan perspective. So uh, I I don't have a lot to say, but uh, yeah, it's good. So. Yeah, fair enough. And just to correct some things I said a moment ago, it was under the General Assembly last spring and signed into law by Governor Larry Hogan that the stadium authority could borrow up to $1.2 billion to pay for stadium improvements, which would be $600 million each to the Orioles and Ravens. And then in terms of the length of the lease, although it has not officially been signed yet, the information there was that the lease was was set to expire at the end of 2021. In February of 2021, the two sides, the Orioles and the Stadium Authority, agreed to an extension through December 31st of 2023. And there was the right for the Orioles to sign a one-time five-year extension by February 1st of 2023. So I think it's assumed that this extension is that five-year extension, which would put them through, I guess, the end of 2028, but it theoretically could be a lot longer than that. We don't know, but that is the latest there. That wraps up all our topics. This uh, was our 99th episode, actually, of the show. So in the coming weeks, months, we are going to try to do a 100th episode special kind of that gets away from day-to-day Orioles news and talks more about our thoughts on the team and our lifelong passion for the Orioles. We'll get more information on that uh, as we put it together. In addition to that, we are going to put together an off-season preview episode that should be out right around the conclusion of the World Series, so keep an eye out for that. Um, apart from that, just thank you all for listening to us this season. It's been a really fun time. I know our our cadence for episode releases has been a little bit slower this year than in le- years past, but I think that's just sort of a byproduct of us being three busy people and trying to get together to do a podcast from three different states is not always the easiest endeavor, but uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I don't know if you guys have anything to say to the audience this year, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's been a really exciting Orioles year and, you know, we love talking about it. So uh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) It was, it was good. Yeah, yeah, I mean the the as as you said. <laughs> sorry to cut you off. As you said, Tyler. I mean, right. The uh, obviously the scheduling, sort of the rhythm on our part of releasing episodes and stuff. We're gonna try to um, kind of be more on point with that next year. But um, yeah, is it my time, Jess? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Th- this year was super fun. Um, definitely, it's like, I don't know, maybe maybe because the last few years were so bad, but it, it's, and, and it's also partially because I pay more attention than I did when I was younger, but th- this was probably like the highest level of like gratification that I've gotten from baseball. And that's partially a result of like, interacting with the community on twitter that's partially a result of doing this podcast with you guys um it's been a lot of fun uh and it's nice to see the orioles winning this was a winning season which is just like we we didn't really acknowledge that you know this was a winning season for the baltimore orioles um and that just feels good to say it feels good to look at where we're going next year you know we still have like fan graphs just put out um we still have seven prospects in the top in their top 100. 
you know, like we've got this stacked farm system. We've got a ton of depth to trade from. We've got talent in the major leagues. It's just like it's real and an abundance of happiness out here in Birdland. So, yeah, feels good. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's gonna be a fun off season. I think the most fun off season in even during the winning years with Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette. I think this is setting up to be even more interesting than those. Um, yeah, good time to be an Orioles fan. So yeah, thank you all for joining us this year. Uh, and hopefully we'll have some content coming to you throughout the off season. If you want to keep tabs on that, what you should do is subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, which we're on Spotify, we're on Apple podcasts. We are wherever you get your podcast, check us out there. And if you can give us a rating, a review that helps the algorithm send us to more Orioles fans. So we'd appreciate that. You can also get involved with us on social media. We are on all Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, but Twitter is where we're most active. So check us out there at the warehouse pod. You can also email the, the uh, you can email the show at the warehouse pod at gmail.com. So do that as well. And um, yeah, that's about all we've got. Keep an eye out in the coming weeks for our 100th episode. And then hopefully shortly thereafter uh, an off season preview, but yeah. Thank you guys uh, so much for listening until next time. This has been the warehouse podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse and I'm Eli. Thanks for listening.